It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Welcome in, Lake Kick is live. It is Tuesday night, October, see the 19th or the 17th. That's how sad things are around here. I can't even read my own handwriting. I do know it is the year of our Lord, 2021, and all we really need to know around here is it's Tuesday night. And that means we are not only high atop downtown Nashville, Tennessee, but it's time to predict some games. And week eight, you're being sold the same old bill of goods. Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a sleepy week eight. And then when the dust settles... And the debris all clear. Actually, I probably shouldn't be using the word debris referencing college football so soon. But when it's all said and done on Saturday, some really crazy stuff will have happened. Well, we're going to try and foretell as much of it as we can on this show this evening. So full week eight predictions. I've got sort of a midseason grade for not only the most surprising things and teams that we've seen, but some crushing disappointments out there. With all the positive, we've got to toss in some negative. All that plus a brand spanking new JP poll. I've showed it to one person, aside from our production team. Chris Hassel at CBS Sports HQ got a look at it. And to his credit, he kept his mouth shut. I'm going to appear with him on HQ tomorrow. Uh, So I gave him a little sneak peek, but I gave him a sneak peek because there are some teams, and I think we all know who we're talking about here, that we have not been quite as high on as maybe our AP brethren have been high on. Well, here's the benefit of that. When those teams lose and the AP has to adjust them, we can just keep them right where we already had them. Because we were right. They are correcting. The market corrected to come meet us. All that plus, we got some added best bets. Look, I know last week was uh, more ramen noodle depressed than ramen noodle express. I feel very, very good. And by, my, by me, I say the model. The model feels very good about games this week. So we'll add that on to the end of the show. Also, I did not get around to announcing the destination for week eight of the Late Kick Renaissance Tour the other night on Sunday night. There were some scheduling conflicts we had to figure out. That's why. So Friday, I've got a little thing to take care of. Therefore, I can't be flying anywhere. And so Saturday, we're going to keep it a little closer to home. The Renaissance Tour is headed down the road to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The third Saturday in October rivalry. Listen, I grew up being taught about this thing. Cigar smoke wafting over the stadium. Even though it's a no-smoking environment, if Alabama wins the game, I've been around far more Alabama wins than Alabama losses in this one. Tennessee versus Alabama. We got treated phenomenally, phenomenal, last time we were in Tuscaloosa. So we look forward to being back down there. At Late Kick Josh is where you want to be, Twitter and Instagram. And with that in mind, let's dive into the show tonight. College football week eight. Some sneaky games here, some very sneaky games. I know they're not all top 10 versus top 10, But let's dive in, shall we? A number of things to keep your eye on. First off, does anyone want to raise your hand and inform me that you have a good read on which LSU team is going to show up? LSU at Ole Miss. The line has been all over the place. I've seen some 10s. I've seen some 8.5s. Right now, we got it at 9 at Caesars, over under 76. Won't be fooled again there. Actually, this probably is the game that will fly over the total. So this is the Saturday 3.30 game on CBS. I want to remind you of something. The SEC West still hangs in the balance. Even though you watched Alabama decidedly handle Ole Miss already, you need to remember something. That's the only game Ole Miss has lost. 
and Bama's already got another SEC loss. So if Bama, let's say, were to down the road lose, well, I don't know, Tennessee would be a little bit of a surprise, but if they were to lose to Auburn, Auburn's playing good football right now. We're going to talk about Auburn a little bit later on. You know, if Ole Miss runs the table, Ole Miss will go to Atlanta. So that's still hanging in the balance. So you got that. Then you also have the totally unanswerable question, in my humble opinion, of which LSU team is going to show up here. The Ole Miss run defense the other night. Did you notice this? I noticed because I was standing on the field watching how many times Hendon Hooker and that Tennessee run game seemed to get stuffed and they couldn't get anything going on the inside. Now, they still ran for 222 yards, but it took them 50 times to do it. That's about 4.4 per carry, but the long, the longest run that Tennessee had against Ole Miss the other night was 26 yards. The reason I mention that, of course, is because LSU just ran for about a quarter to half a mile on Florida. Judging by the rest of the season, don't we have to treat that as a throwaway result? Don't we have to treat that as the exception to the rule? Or, alternatively, am I to believe that the LSU ground game all of a sudden figured things out in week seven of the season? With the job on the line of the head coach? I don't know. I say all that to say this. Uh, The answer probably lies somewhere in between. If LSU's run game last week was a mirage, then I feel really good about Ole Miss here. I also question this. So you would think with the, with the head coach knowing he's out, you would think, well, then that kind of loosens everything up around the program. Some people look at looseness as good. Some people look at it as bad. I don't think there's any way to gauge which LSU team's going to show up is what I'm telling you. So I would never want to be betting on this game. The model loves Ole Miss. I mean, it thinks Ole Miss is going to cover decisively. I'll go with the model. There's so much variance. Ole Miss could win this thing by 28. They could lose by three. Wouldn't be surprised either way. I will very sheepishly take Ole Miss to win and cover. Don't feel great about it. Now, the next game is probably the pound-for-pound best game of the afternoon. I have a bias here. It is Oklahoma State at Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State is either favored by 6.5 or 7, depending on where you're looking. Now, at Caesars, we can get it at 6.5 right now. Very noteworthy for later in the show. Total, where is it at? About 47. So this is a Saturday 3.30 game Eastern Time on Fox. Classic example, classic example, guys, when we do the JP poll later in the show of the age-old adage that you are not always what your record says you are in this sport, in college football. I've never had a problem with it in pro sports. In college, you are not always what your record says you are. But for those of you out there still unconvinced, this is a two-loss Iowa State team. That's an undefeated Oklahoma State team. You see which team's favored by a touchdown? And you may say, well, Josh, yeah, home field. Okay, well, home field's about three points here, max. So subtract it. You've still got three to four points separating a two-loss team in front of an undefeated team. Anyway, it doesn't matter if you're Oklahoma State. It just serves as a divider between the rankings conversation and the ratings conversation. Iowa State's two losses, though, I bring up the records because of this. Uh, the losses are losses. It's not like you can rehash them or relitigate them, but we're looking at this game, and this game's still a few days away, and a lot of folks are going to look at those two losses and say, well, because of that, and then fill in the blank, and that will uh, kind of buoy their prediction Saturday. I want you to remember something. Post-game win expectancy is a great stat to follow, and that basically is taking all the available data that was recorded during a game and then saying, if this game were to have been played out standard style, what would that team's percentage win expectancy be? 
Iowa State, to give you an idea, Iowa State loses to Iowa. I think it was 27 to 17 the final. Based off the numbers that were put up in that game, Iowa State would have a 91% post-game win expectancy. Translation, they turned the ball over a whole lot and blew the game. That's the translation. Doesn't matter. A loss is a loss. Baylor, they went to Baylor and lost. Same deal, turnover problems. They've got a 54% post-game win expectancy there. So Iowa State, based on the numbers now, and that's all we use for a predictive kind of model, they should be undefeated. That's what the numbers would say. So the numbers look at this, and our model, for example, looks at this game, and it sees a wider gap than even six and a half when accounting for home field advantage. Going to be a grinder now, because what I look at is, I look at the fact that Oklahoma State's defense is not giving up much of anything. And so Iowa State, like even though we think there's a bigger gap than that, Iowa State's still got to put points on the board. And I don't know that they're going to be able to just consistently run the ball. Oklahoma State's defense right now giving up about three yards per carry. So you know what that means. That means Iowa State's going to have to have some success through the air throwing the ball. Question for me is on the other side, though. Question becomes, well, how much success are they really going to need? Because as much as Oklahoma State's defense may keep the scoring down, I don't know that their offense is going to be able to do much of anything. We like Iowa State to win. We like Iowa State to cover. It's going to end up being on the Ramen Noodle Express. It's one of our best bets of the week. One of the worst bets is um, having an itch on the end of your nose as you're live, but it sure beats losing your voice on air. So we'll take it. Clemson is at Pitt. Hey, I want any of you who are cryogenically frozen in August to thaw yourselves. Come to the table. I got some information for you. Pitt is a three and a half point favorite or a three point favorite against Clemson. Yeah. In football. That's right, people. In football, they're favored by three. This game Saturday, it's 3.30 Eastern time. It's on ESPN. It's the first time that Dabo and Clemson have ever visited Heinz Field. Dabo said he's only been to Pittsburgh one time in his life. So this is unfamiliar territory in many different ways. Clemson as an underdog. This is playing with your mind, isn't it? A lot of you who bet on this, you've watched Pitt and you've watched Clemson. And you're saying the same thing everyone else is. Pitt is better than Clemson. Pitt's going to beat Clemson. But see, you thought in the back of your mind the whole time you were going to be given points while you bet Pitt. Nope, you gotta lay them. And now all of a sudden, there's that voice. I don't know how faint or loud it is, but all of you have, to some degree, that voice in the back of your head right now. And it's saying, Clemson as an underdog. Mm-mm. Clemson, disrespect for Clemson. I don't really care. I mean, do you understand what streaks we have currently? Clemson is O for their last seven against the number. Pitt is six and one against the spread their last seven. I never talk about those trends because they're largely made to be broken. But I think the trends are going to continue here. Here are the problems that Clemson will really have to overcome if they are to win this game. Uh, You know that they're not going to consistently be able to run the ball on this pit defense, which means they're going to have to throw the ball to win. Okay, that's basic. That's common sense. But here's the difference. This is a pit offense that can force them to trade points. This isn't one of those games where Clemson can afford to sit around and put 17 on the board and just defense their way to a win. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not saying Pitt's going to get to that average they have right now, 48 points per game, but I am telling you it's going to be somewhere between 17 and 48. Pitt can score. If I'm Clemson, I'm thinking to feel safe winning this game, I'll probably need 27 and 28. Do we feel confident they're going to get there? Maybe more than that, but do we feel confident they're going to get there? I don't. So, I don't feel good about them trading points. I don't think those dynamics, those psychological, ooh, Clemson's an underdog dynamics work because they were an underdog in week one. Or actually, they weren't. So it should have worked the opposite way it didn't. 
uh, forget what I just said. That made no sense. This is not going to matter. Like, I think Pitt is three-point favorite here. I like him by way more than that. So I'll take Pitt to win. I'll take Pitt to cover. I don't worry about anyone overlooking anyone. None of, that's, none of that stuff even works its way into the equation. Southern Cal is at Notre Dame. This is a Saturday 7.30 Eastern Time game. This one's on NBC Weather Alert, one of our first of the season, Weather Alert. I don't know that any precipitation is expected. I just want you to know that a bunch of kids who have already lost their head coach from Southern California are going to be playing in temperatures at kickoff, mid-40s, low to mid-40s. It doesn't sound fun, and I'll tell you what really makes it sound less fun for Southern Cal. They have no interest in stopping the run, and Notre Dame has every intention of running the ball on them 45, it could be 50 times if they have to. So this is a rested Notre Dame team. Uh, they are refocused. They've still got all their goals in front of them largely. They're 5-1. and one. Good stretch run here. You take your chances. You never know what could happen. Because of those factors, I think this is pretty academic. We love Notre Dame. It was our best bet of the week, still is. Uh, can't believe this thing's still available at six and a half. We think Notre Dame wins this by double digits. So we'll take the Irish to win. We'll take the Irish to cover. And I think coming out of this game, if that were to happen, you'll have some people, especially if they get quarterback figured out, if they look like they have a plan and then they execute it at quarterback in this game because they've been using three of them. So if they do that in this game, that'll be sort of the sneaky water cooler conversation. It'll be Notre Dame, you know? It took a little while, but maybe they got their act together. Hey, Notre Dame's not that team you want to be playing right now. There's one of those every year. It could be Notre Dame this year. And lastly, maybe the best line of scrimmage game of the day. Think about this. Oregon at UCLA? Now, these teams both have blemishes on their resume, but especially west of the Rockies? This is the best line of scrimmage game that you guys may see all year, easily on Saturday. It's a 3.30 Eastern kickoff. That means just afternoon local time there. Fans have been on Anthony Brown. I got a little theory working here. I was thinking about it driving in today. So some of the Oregon fans have been less than kind to Anthony Brown, the quarterback for Oregon. Hasn't been performing up to expectation level, and that's where I want to stop. I want you to think about something. There's give and take. Every time a head coach makes a decision, whether it's Nick Saban or Mario Cristobal, there's always a risk-reward. So a lot of these coaches close off practice to media and fans. Lincoln Riley has done this. Uh, Mario does it. Like all the, Most all the coaches do it. I'm not singling out anyone. But what I'm telling you is there is a reward there. The reward is you get to keep your program cloaked in a veil of secrecy. That's good for you. But here's the trade-off. The trade-off is it creates this vacuum of a lack of information out there. On Twitter, on message boards, talk radio. Guess what fills the vacuum? Misfounded hype fills the vacuum. And so because media has not been there to lay eyeballs on guys and fans have not been there to lay eyeballs on guys and realize he may not be as good as I think he is, they just run with best case scenario. And then when your players don't live up to best case scenario, guess what happens? They're not booing the coach. They're booing the player. So I don't condone the booing. I'm not sitting here booing any college player. I am telling you though, much, was, much as was the case the other night at Neyland. Like I'm not condoning fans throwing trash on the field. I think there may be more than just one direct cause for it. You look at players getting booed. I don't know that if we had a lot more access to watch them and base our own expectation level off something more tangible, that it would happen as much. I could be off base there, but let's get back to this game for a second. Really good game on tap. Could be the best game of the day for all I know. Oregon has struggled with lesser teams at the line of scrimmage. The Oregon they have recruited and developed to a level where they should have an advantage, either light to moderate advantage on the line of scrimmage, especially in their conference. May not be the case against UCLA. 
And as much as I just kind of semi-defended Anthony Brown, I haven't seen reason to think that offense is about to click. And so I think UCLA, what are they, favored by two right now? Uh, our model has this like dead even, so it thinks the number's right. I'll lean UCLA to win minus the points. Uh, that'd be a big win if Oregon can get it, but I'll lean UCLA minus the points. Uh, those are some of the games, not all of them. We'll talk about some more Thursday. Those are some of the games that we're watching here in week eight. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right. I was, I was over on the BamaOnline.com message board the other night. Good people over there. Very good people. Always some constructive criticism coming our way. And one guy said, you know, I love late kick, but man, he's, he just talks about academy too much. Well, uh, like I was talking about there with closing practices, there's a trade-off. You can either have a good, solid ad read, or you can have to pay for the show. I think we all know where we're all going to opt there. Plus, Academy is a partner that we have chosen to do business with. It's not like we're shoving anything down your throat. However, most of you have been very receptive to this. So here's all I want to tell you. I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa, speak of the devil, I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa Saturday. But there's going to be a great tailgate scene in Ames, Iowa. Uh, There will be, what are we talking about? We're talking about a great tailgate scene. Notre Dame, cool weather, Irish coming off a bye, Trojans coming into town. Imagine the scene and then just put Academy labels on top of every single item that's out there. Because if you need it for tailgating, they have it at Academy Sports and Outdoors. They are the official outdoor sporting goods supplier of the Big 12, of the SEC, and of this brand right here, Late Kick, which, you know, selfishly, we care about a little bit more than the other two, to be honest with you. But if you can't get to a store, or you don't feel like fighting the crowds, and I am told they've been very crowded as of late, so that's good news, just go to academy.com. They've got all the tailgating hookup that you need. Also, Listen, if you don't feel like paying hundreds of dollars for clothes, just get those at Academy too. I mean, follow my lead. Just get those clothes at Academy too. So we appreciate Academy making the show possible. We're at the midpoint of the season right now. Uh, One of the worst times of my life was midterm progress reports, report cards. It was just horrific. Just a terrible, terrible time. It was never a good news day for me. Most of the time, it was because teachers had it out for me. Let's make that clear. But report card was never the best of times uh, down in uh, Harris County, Georgia. However, there have been some surprise teams out there. So I want to take a little time here at the midpoint of the season. The biggest surprises to me, you guys may have far different answers than me on this. So you can fill in the blank and you can read along with me here, follow along. The biggest surprises for you this year. Michigan State, how are they not right at the top of your list? Other coaches have got to hate this. I guarantee you some administrations out there secretly hate what Mel Tucker's doing. Now, on the surface, they probably, good for you, Mel, good for you, jerk. And the reason why they probably feel a little animus deep down in their heart is because Mel Tucker's bought the flash pass. Like, I'm a guy who did not grow up going to Six Flags very often. When I finally got to go to Six Flags, I get online, I want to buy my tickets, and I see this option, the flash pass. And if you've ever been to Six Flags over Georgia, the lines are incredibly long. The flash pass lets you bypass the lines. 
Now, you've got a different worldview than me. You may think that this should be illegal, but I believe in cutting in line. And I bought the flash pass. You got to pay about a hundred bucks, but I figure I'm already going to pay that in parking anyway. Why not shell it out and get to ride unlimited rides? Mel Tucker bought the college football flash pass. He has cut so many coaches in line. He's cut so many teams in line. They had a plan with the transfer portal. They were very purposeful in the way they attacked the transfer portal. There have been some really good articles written very recently on this about how seamlessly, at least from the outsider's perspective, they infused that transfer portal town. A lot of those guys are starting and contributing to, right now, an undefeated record for Michigan State. And you notice how when Mel Tucker got there, this is his second year, and they had the COVID stuff to deal with. They never should have gotten off to a good start. They never settled into their role. The role for Michigan State was supposed to be, okay, we think you overpaid for a head coach from Colorado. He doesn't have a ton of head coaching experience. You're already down as a program. Your roster's a little depleted. Uh, you don't measure up to the other big boys here. Take your lumps. Go ahead and make a bowl game. Like Have a nice little feel-good six or seven win season. And Mel Tucker just... He basically took his index finger and he he put it up to the lips of all the detractors. Then he kind of backhanded him for good measure. Michigan State's undefeated. They're going to host Michigan, who also could be undefeated in a couple of weeks. Biggest surprise team in the country right now for me. Kentucky is a big surprise team for me. Don't let the Georgia loss fool you. I guess you hadn't noticed Georgia's beaten a lot of teams. But preseason, if you were to have looked at this stretch on Kentucky's schedule... And this is a six-week stretch. These five games happened in a six-week stretch. How many of you would have picked them to be 5-1 and one against this stretch? They had Missouri. They go to South Carolina. Then they had Florida, LSU, at Georgia. All those point spreads, they were either an underdog or very, very small. And yet they're 5-1, and one and the only loss was to Georgia. And you just saw that. That was the most recent. So I don't think many people picked it to be 5-1. and one. If you did, congratulations. But I'll tell you this, they weren't even taking care of the ball in some of those games. Kentucky's not supposed to be able to do that. The, the teams with loaded rosters and just supreme talent edges, they could be a little more careless and still end up winning after fumbling the ball away a couple of times. Kentucky's not supposed to be able to be minus three turnovers on the road and still beat South Carolina, but they did. And they beat Missouri, and they beat Florida despite not throwing for 100 yards. There were all kind of red flags in these box scores. And Mark Stoops' team just found a way to win anyway. So here they are. And now they could be favored the rest of the way. Like Kentucky, you need to get yourself comfortable with the fact that this is going to be a double-digit win team this year. And they're going to visit probably a bowl location that they're very unfamiliar with. Congratulations. I know they don't want to be congratulated right now, but it's midterm report card time. Congratulations to the Kentucky Wildcats. I've got Arkansas on this list too. Arkansas suffered some losses recently. That doesn't really diminish any of the shine that it takes to get on this list for me because they, even though they lost recently, they've lost to Georgia, they've lost to Ole Miss by one point, they lost to Auburn, hard-fought game the other uh, night. They still beat Texas, convincingly. They still beat A&M, convincingly. I think it was more convincing on the field than in the box score. Arkansas is so hard to judge because people don't know how to properly interpret the schedule. Like if I gave Coastal Carolina the schedule, are they undefeated? Of course they're not. Conversely, if I gave Arkansas Coastal Carolina schedule, guess where they are? They're undefeated in all likelihood. And so I say that to say, what are they going to do the rest of the way? Because they have been a pleasant surprise for me. What are they going to do the rest of the way? They play Arkansas Pine Bluff Saturday. Should be a dub. Uh, that will put them at five and four. It will, that'll put them at f- so if they lose to Bama, let's say they beat Pine Bluff, they lose to Bama, you're looking at the remainder of their schedule here. That leaves Mississippi State, 
at LSU and Missouri. Let's just assume that they are five and four going into that stretch. Uh, that puts them probably uh, six and six worst case, I would, I would venture to guess. And I would say eight and four is a possibility at that point. And look at the win totals in the preseason. People didn't think Arkansas was even going to make a bowl game. So this is a really good, really good situation to be in, even with the recent losses for Sam Pittman and company. How about Cincinnati? Is it a surprise when you've won every game that you're favored in? Because they've been favored the entire way, even the, even the Power Five games they were in. They were favored at Indiana. They covered. They were favored on the road, no less, against Notre Dame. They covered. A lot of you are trying to write off those wins. I'm not one of them. Out of all the people walking God's green earth, I'm the one who ends up carrying the water for Cincinnati. Never would have expected it in a million years. But yet here I am. If it's so easy to just win the games you're favored in, why didn't Alabama do it? Why didn't Ohio State do it? Why is Clemson not doing it? It's not that easy is the answer. It's not always easy. Some people badly misinterpret what a point spread is. I mean, a point spread, while it's not meant to just divide the actions 50-50, it's not that simple. It, it, for broad strokes purposes, is that simple. It's not like it's an actual stat. It's not a metric. It doesn't impact a football game. Humans do. And in most cases, they're very young humans. We're not all Brigham Young out here. And so, I mean, you get that weight of expectations that the Cincinnati's of the world are not used to, and they still got a long way to go, but I'm impressed by it. I know they're not lacking for credit right now, but I'll give them credit. I'm impressed by it. I'll tell you what I'm interested in seeing, though. They're ranked number two, Colin, my AP source. I think they're ranked number two in the AP right now. I'm interested in seeing when that first playoff ranking comes out, which I think is next week, are they going to be that high? Because if they're that high then they're not falling out if they go undefeated. I mean, I don't think that. Uh, however, if they're sitting number five or number six, you will have an ally in that pro G5 argument that you've never had before, and you're looking at him. I don't know how excited that makes you, but you're looking at him. With the sunshine, we have to have the rain. Most disappointing teams so far in 2021. This is not going to be exclusively a Clemson Tigers segment because i got three more teams to talk about, but I'm leading with Clemson. You saw it start to play out in week one. We were at the game in Charlotte, and they couldn't muster an offensive touchdown. They put three on the board total, and you looked at it, and at the time, if you wanted to be a glass-half-full sort of fan, you said, well, this is Georgia. Georgia will do that to a lot of teams. Mm. Now, actually, a lot of more teams have done that to Clemson. Maybe not quite to that degree, but a lot more teams have done that to Clemson. Even when they beat South Carolina State, it didn't look good. They barely beat Georgia Tech. It didn't look good. Almost got beat by Georgia Tech. Needed a goal line stand. And then, of course, you got the loss at NC State. And so they just beat Boston College. They went to Syracuse and, and stumbled their way to a win. And it's just, there's been no point this year where they've looked impressive. No point. And now they're going to Pitt. And people are scared to bet against them because they think all of a sudden, the light switch is just going to come on. I don't know how you expect it to happen. Crazier things have happened. I don't know how you expect it. Here's what I'd love to know. Dabo Swinney's been doing a lot of talking because he's been asked questions. He's not just randomly running his mouth. He's been doing a lot of talking about the transfer portal and what needs to change, you know, what the big problems are. Everybody knows that. I, think it's, I don't think it's a big mystery what Clemson lacks right now. What I'd love to know is how early the Clemson staff knew they had trouble on their hands. How early? Because they sounded really confident in the preseason. And I've listened to coaches before 
where their level of excitement didn't quite match what the preseason magazine culture was spewing, and it's because they knew more about their team. Dabo sounded ultra confident. I think this has genuinely been a surprise to them, and I don't know that they're done losing. Uh, so I'm at this point, it is what it is. I'm excited or, or kind of interested, I guess would be the better word, to see how they handle this upcoming, not only the early signing day, but as we all know, when the season ends, transfer portal time kicks in. think it's going to be a little different around Clemson, South Carolina. Staying in the ACC, North Carolina has got to be right behind Clemson on this list. 2021, contrary to what Mac Brown has suggested, had every reason to be circled for North Carolina. I know what his point is. Mac Brown's point has been, well, yeah, we haven't lived up to your expectation. And he's pointing to the media. And I make this point all the time. And so maybe it was you that's failed and not us. It's you. You shouldn't have expected so much from us. Well, yeah, I kind of think we should have. Even I'm saying we here. I'm lumping myself in with the casuals here. I am immersing myself in preview magazine culture and defending it. You returned 21 starters. You had Sam Howell coming back. A favorable schedule. There is no reason that anything less than a trip to the ACC championship game should have been expected from this team. Now pause that, because that's where most people were on North Carolina. Now imagine, as I said the other day, if we were sitting here in August, a couple of weeks before the season starts, the talking point at the time was, well, the ACC championship game, mm, it'd be nice for them to make it there. Now that's as far as they can make it, because then they'd have to play Clemson, and of course they're not going to beat Clemson. Ah, what if I told you, uh, friend, I just rubbed the crystal ball. I didn't see the whole season, but I saw Clemson's season. They're already going to have two losses before Halloween. They're going to be an underdog against Pitt. And DJ Uyangalale is not going to be hurt. He's going to be part of that equation, and they're going to be a two-loss team that's an underdog to Pitt. How would you have felt? How quickly would you have rushed to the window and bet North Carolina to make the playoff? I would have. I absolutely. I would have been that sucker. I would have. And yet, they can't get out of their own way. Miami could be on this list. North Carolina's on this list. Clemson's on this list. Everyone has looked for several years now at Clemson. And they've wondered, if they ever get out of the way, which team would be ready to strike? It turns out the answer is none of them. None of them. Crippling disappointment for multiple programs in the ACC right now. What about Florida? Where are things with Florida? Left, right, up, down, no one seems to know. Where's the program? Forget just the team this year. Where's the program? I spoke my piece on my biggest concern about Florida the other night and how Maybe Dan Mullen checked out a little bit last year for NFL purposes, never checked back in, but you can never really prove that. That's just a working theory. Uh, but I will tell you this, before the cocktail party next week, Georgia already has a cushion. I mean, Georgia doesn't plan on losing that game, obviously, but they can afford to lose the game and have it really still not matter as long as they take care of business the rest of the way. Uh, this is a result of Dan Mullen not making critical moves that needed to be made this past summer. This past spring, he chose to continue to ride with Todd Grantham. There is no explaining how horrifically bad and unprepared they were to play LSU last week. LSU didn't figure out how to run the ball in four or five days. Florida wasn't ready to play. And so you can put that on kids if you want to. I was listening to some of their players postgame, and credit to them because they were as diplomatic as possible in saying, we were doing what we were told, like we were executing our assignments. Now, I'm sure that it's a, sort of a meet-in-the-middle deal. I'm sure Florida didn't play mistake-free assignments on football. Obviously, that's the case. 
But I do think the general theme there is those players know they were unprepared. Like those players weren't put in a position to be able to execute a workable strategy. Anyway, that's one game. But as for where Florida is right now, I mean, are we kidding? They're already three losses before the bye week. You know that they still have other losable games coming up. I was doing radio today, and it kind of hit me that there could be something coming down the road. You see, Florida State, while their record's bad, they've been playing better football. I mean, I think it's very clear Florida State's playing as good now as they have been. You know, Florida, if they check out, don't think at all it's beneath them to lose to Florida State at the end of the year. That would trigger change. I believe that. And by change, I'm not quite sure what I mean, what kind of degree of change we're talking about, but if they've already got this uh, resume to be forgotten and then you tack on a loss to Florida State at the end of the year, that will be not only tough to swallow, they will refuse to ingest that down at Florida. I don't know what that means, kind of speaking cryptically on purpose, because I don't know truly how they feel internally about Mullen. I'm not a fire Mullen guy. I am a make wholesale changes guy, but I haven't taken the added step that some people have. But you and I both know there comes a point of no return sometimes. And I don't know if a loss to Florida State would be that point of no return, but I sure don't know if it wouldn't be either. Is that fence riding enough? I think it is. Last team's Wisconsin. I was high on Wisconsin, and they just They've let me down. It all went sideways in week one. They played Penn State, and they, they won the box score, lost the game. It was one of those kinds of games. And then the Notre Dame game. They turned the ball over like half a dozen times. They lose 41-13. to 13. They led the game in the fourth quarter and lost 41-13. to 13. How do you do that? you got to try to do that. And then they minus two turnovers against Michigan. I'm not sure turnovers lost the game, 38-17. to 17. 1.3 yards per carry. Probably had a lot more to do with that. But here we are. We're already a 3-3 three and three team. Uh, they've got to go to Purdue Saturday. I like Purdue there. They've still got Iowa on the schedule. Uh, th- uh, listen, none of these games are easy when you're playing as ineffectively and efficiently as Wisconsin is. they got to go to Rutgers. they get Northwestern, Nebraska, at Minnesota. they got to have three or four more losses. This could be bad, really, really bad. And Wisconsin, I know it's off the radar a little bit. It's not a big public team. That's been a really disappointing team, too. So those are some of the most disappointing teams, most surprising teams. We'll be very interested to look at the comment section here because I think we'll have, especially for the disappointing teams, we'll have several options that maybe I didn't even get to. Uh, Lastly, before we put best bets out there, and I got a couple more of them for you. Before we do that, here we go. Let's crack the knuckles. All right, we had one of them. That's good enough. It is week eight JP poll edition time. And we've got some movement, but not in like the top five or six. In fact, the top, the top eight remained unchanged. But, but, and a big caveat here, there is movement all over the place. After number eight, there's only one team that stayed the exact same as they were last week. So we got a lot of movement here to remind you this is not a ranking. It is not a ranking. It is not a ranking. And by the way, this is not a ranking. This has nothing to do with merit or, or your resume or anything. This is strictly power rating. That's why Iowa has never been ranked inside our top five, even though in AP world, they were already ranked number two. So with that in mind, we care about who would be favored against who tomorrow on a neutral field. Let's start at number 25. I know this one's going to throw you for a loop because their record is bad. Uh, we've still got Nebraska as one of the 25 best teams in the country. We would favor Nebraska against Coastal Carolina tomorrow, for example. Uh, every, every reputable 
predictive model out there. Would agree with that, by the way. This is not us out on some limb. Oklahoma State has cracked, has cracked for the first time. The JP poll, the Cowboys are at 24. Wake Forest, about the same at 23. We got Clemson dropping two spots, but Clemson's still in here. They're at number 22. NC State is up six spots at number 21. Now, it should be noted, this is not all a direct result of what you did. Some of these teams moved and they were on a bye. There's also movement around you, so just keep that in mind. Baylor is at number 20, for example. Baylor wasn't even in the poll last week. Baylor's up to number 20. Kentucky is the only team that has remained unchanged. They are at number 19. Oregon, not feeling the ducks right now. And this is not a quarterback situation because the quarterback's not injured. He's in. Anthony Brown's in. It's just the offense is ineffective right now. So they're down to 18. But this is a team that still has juice left. That's a team I could easily see. If they went on a run, Oregon, from a power rating standpoint, they could finish the season in the top 10. They have that kind of roster and capability. Arkansas is still here. This is another one that will throw the you-are-what-your-record-says-you-are crowd for a loop. Arkansas is relative to schedule. They are our number 17 team right now. We've got them ahead of several Power 5 undefeated teams. It's all relative to who they've played. Notre Dame's at 16. Irish we feel very good about this Saturday. Arizona State is still sitting at 15. Admittedly, that's not a team we've had a very firm grasp on this year. Uh, So they're at 15. A&M has vaulted 11 spots. The Aggies, everywhere but quarterback, they've got the kind of talent roster that just automatically, like auto-slots you inside the top 10. We had only dropped them as far as we had because we thought the offense had gone off the rails. But now, two weeks in a row, they have performed well above expectation level. And it's really big that they did it in an early kickoff after playing Bama. You just got to be careful, you know, because Tennessee got really fat on Missouri's defense, too. Everyone gets fat on Missouri's defense. So we're not going all in. The model's not going all in on them. They've still got them at 14. And believe it or not, for a talent roster as loaded as A&M's is, that's still pretty low, but they are climbing. Uh, Michigan State has climbed a pretty significant amount there, too. They're at 13. Look at Auburn. The model is really buying Auburn right now. Auburn's up at 12. Uh, That is one of the highest rated two-loss teams in America, also above several one-loss and undefeated teams. How about Pittsburgh? I never thought I'd see this. Pitt is knocking on the top 10. We thought Pitt would have a hard time against, I believe it was Vatek this past weekend. They handled him. I mean, really handled him ahead of the Clemson game. Dynamics-wise, it screamed letdown spot for Pitt, and they handled him. So Pitt's at number 11. All right, here we go. It may get a little controversial here. It shouldn't be. This is a model, so I don't even think it can understand what controversy is. Iowa has fallen behind Iowa State. Now, I want to note something. Most of the predictive models out there never dropped Iowa, never dropped Iowa State behind Iowa. I I told you earlier, when those two teams played, the post-game win expectancy percentage was in the 90 percentile range for Iowa State. It was a turnover game. It counts, but in the predictive world, doesn't count nearly as much. And so Iowa State, Iowa didn't drop. We think we had Iowa nailed, so we didn't drop Iowa at all. The reason they're down to 10 is because some teams jumped ahead of them. But Iowa State, uh, the model loved them against Kansas State. They feel like, they, like it's multiple models. The model feels like Iowa State's hitting stride. I agree. And we've got a chance to further validate that Saturday when they play Oklahoma State. So Iowa State's at 9 Uh, Michigan, Ole Miss, Penn State, the rest of the poll is unchanged. Nothing else has changed. Michigan, Ole Miss, Penn State is 8 through 6, and then 5 through 1. 
Cincinnati, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia. We have a 1.65 point gap between Georgia and Alabama right now. One, so basically, if they played in Atlanta and we had to put a point spread on it, it would be Georgia minus one and a half. Is that a gap? Doesn't sound like one to me. I know what the talking points are out there. I just want you to know in the power rating world what we think. I'm interested in this because you may look at this and say Cincinnati's low. No, friends. Cincinnati's insanely high. For a G5 roster to be this highly rated in a power rating is is. Well, it's monumental. I don't know that it's ever happened in this particular poll. So, you know, we only got one person who technically delivers the news here, but that's noteworthy. When you consider the talent roster advantage that a team like Texas A&M has, for example, and they're all the way down at 14, Cincinnati's at five, it's hard. It is extremely hard for those G5 teams to climb that high, but Cincinnati has. JP poll is about to get shook up because a lot of those teams are about to start playing each other. That Big Ten round robin, you know, Michigan and Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan State, they're all about to start playing each other like bumper cars. It's going to be fun. Last but not least, Ramen Noodle Express. I'm thinking about doing something pretty unprecedented. I'm not doing it yet, but I'm thinking about it. I'll tell you what it is. So let's take a look at our added best bets. We already put out Notre Dame minus six and a half. That was the first game we put out. Two more games we're moving on. Already alluded to these earlier tonight. We're taking Pitt minus three at home against Clemson. If you cannot get three, there are several threes available tonight. If you cannot get three, we do like three and a half. I know normally that's a very key number, and it is here too. We do like three and a half. And we're taking Iowa State minus six and a half. We also like seven, but there are plenty of six and a halves available out there right now. If you can only find seven, I would encourage you wait, because I have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be enough money out there that says, undefeated Oklahoma State and seven points against a two-loss team? I'll take that. Oklahoma State will end up being a public side Saturday. So if you can't find a seven yet, wait. Or you can't find a six and a half yet, wait. You'll probably get a six and a half. Shop lines. Have multiple outs. Shop lines. Don't be settling for Joe down on the corner of Ninth and Broad with 120 juice and bad numbers. Shop lines. Uh, So we got Notre Dame, Iowa State, and Pitt. Those are the ones we're on right now. What I'm thinking about doing that's unprecedented, well, it's not unprecedented. I haven't done it this year, is I'm thinking about double-dipping Notre Dame. So what all that would mean is we're doubling up on them. So every bet is equal that we do on this show, but sometimes we double-dip on what would truly be a best bet, and we love Notre Dame. I mean, the, the dynamic is great. We really feel confident Notre Dame's winning by double digits Saturday. So we may end up uh, double dipping that and counting it basically twice what we would normally count it. All right, we got to get out of here. And I'm going to tell you why we have to get out of here. Because uh, the Braves are, as of now, still playing. Um, Boy, I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't even want to talk about the World Series. It hasn't happened since I was a wee child. If it happens, you will see a different side of me than you've ever seen before. And you've already seen many sides of me. I got to get to watching this. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel and following on all the social accounts at Late Kick Josh. For Director Colin, for our entire crew doing a phenomenal job up in Connecticut tonight, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless. Mm-hmm.